For The Daily Princetonian, I'm Eden Tashoma. You're listening to Daybreak. Today, we take you through Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson's confirmation to the Supreme Court and the shows you can catch on campus this weekend. It's Friday, April 8th. In national news, yesterday the Senate confirmed Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson's nomination to the Supreme Court of the United States. This will make Jackson the first Black woman to sit on the court. The vote was 53 to 47, split largely along partisan lines, with three Republicans voting in favor of Jackson's nomination. Judge Jackson is set to replace Justice Breyer when he retires at the end of the Supreme Court's current session later this summer. To give a brief recap of Jackson's confirmation process and the impact she's likely to have on the court, we're joined by Anna Salvatore, a staff news writer for The Prince and founder of High School SCOTUS, a blog about the Supreme Court. Uh, Hi, Anna. It's nice to have you on again. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, So can you take us through what the confirmation process normally looks like for a judge? Did the process stay close to usual with the Judge Jackson's confirmation? Well, the past few confirmation processes have been kind of tumultuous, so it's hard to come up with a normal example. (laughs) What comes to mind is the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation hearings, uh, also under President Trump, where he had been accused of sexually assaulting a high school classmate, So there have been some controversial moments during the confirmation hearings, but this one for Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson went fairly smoothly. The senators took their turns asking her questions over the course of a few days, tried to bait her a couple of times on critical race theory questions and implications that she had sentenced defendants too lightly in child pornography cases, but none of those allegations really stuck. She sailed through and even garnered a few votes from Republican senators, which has been not super common lately. You spoke to this uh, the last time you were on, but can you reiterate the significance of having Judge Jackson on the Supreme Court? It's an enormously significant moment in terms of representation. Judge Jackson, or I guess now Justice Jackson, won't be the first black justice that honor goes to Thurgood Marshall and then second Clarence Thomas, but she will be the third black justice and only the sixth woman ever to serve on the court. Um, She'll join three other women, Justices Sotomayor, Kagan, and Coney Barrett, meaning that for the first time, four of the nine justices will be women. It doesn't quite fulfill the hope Ruth Bader Ginsburg once expressed that the court will have enough women when there are nine, but it's getting there. Anyway, this is just an enormously significant moment for African Americans in this country, but also an interesting moment from a legal perspective because Justice Jackson will have had this background as a public defender, which is not typical of recent nominees. Lately, they've tended to come primarily from big law backgrounds, or from even being prosecutors. So to have someone come from that other end of the legal process is valuable. Ultimately, how will Jackson affect the makeup of the Supreme Court when it comes to voting? Jackson will not affect the voting layout of the court right now, because as it stands with Justice Breyer still in the court, there's a 6-3 lineup. There are six conservative justices, including Chief Justice Roberts. And then there are the three liberal justices I mentioned earlier, Justices Kagan, Sotomayor, and Breyer. Even if Chief Justice Roberts crosses the aisle and votes with the more liberal-leaning justices, that's still a 5-4 outcome, and the conservative-leaning justices will potentially still be voting together in the big blockbuster cases, the the social issue cases. That said, Justice Breyer is, I think, 31 years older than Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson, so she'll be bringing presumably a more youthful perspective to, to those kinds of cases, maybe to cases involving technology where Justice Breyer wouldn't have been as, as up on the issues. And potentially, you know, she could be a, a political operator behind the scenes. I'm not sure if she has that reputation as much as, say, Justice Kagan did when she was being touted as a nominee. I remember, like, 
Professor Lawrence Tribe of Harvard, a, a notable constitutional law scholar, was mentioning how Justice Kagan could garner votes behind the scenes and, and persuade her colleagues. I don't know if Justice Jackson has that capability, perhaps, um, and that could affect the voting. But um, as far as I can tell, it's a question of, of bringing youth and, and a fresh dynamic to the voting process. Okay, great. Thank you for talking with me. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Yesterday, the United Nations General Assembly voted to suspend Russia from the International Human Rights Council. The resolution was originally proposed by the United States in response to mounting evidence that the Russian military has committed war crimes against the Ukrainian public. It was passed by a vote of 93 to 24, with 58 abstaining. Ukraine President Zelensky has also called for Russia's removal from its influential seat on the UN Security Council, citing the country's recent aggressions. On campus, the Creative Writing Program has removed the application process to introductory writing creative courses. Applications consisted of a brief writing sample, which created a barrier as students vied for competitive spots. In an email to the Prince, director of the Creative Writing Program, Jhumpa Lahiri, expressed that the change was meant to make the program more inclusive. This update will take into effect in fall 2022, meaning students making course selections next week will no longer have to submit an application. You can read more about the change in staff news writer Michaela Merlin's article linked in the description below. Put your piece as aside because this coming weekend is filled with spring shows from Princeton's talented performing arts groups. V-Tone, Princeton's East Asian music group, will be performing Palette at 8 p.m. tonight and 8 p.m. Saturday night in the First College's Black Box Theater. The Black Arts Company, Princeton's premier hip-hop dance company, will be performing Undercover at 6.30 p.m. and 9.30 p.m. tonight or 5 p.m. and 8 p.m. tomorrow in the Berlin Theater. The Figure Skating Club will be performing Night at the Movies at 8 p.m. tomorrow and 2 p.m. on Sunday at Baker Rink. The Princeton Pianists Ensemble will be performing Full Bloom tonight at 8 p.m. and tomorrow at 8 p.m. in the Woolworth Music Building and 2.30 p.m. and 8 p.m. on Sunday at the Lee Rehearsal Space. Princeton Camerata, one of Princeton's chamber orchestras, will be performing Equinox at 2.30 tomorrow in the Lee Rehearsal Room. Dorobuchi, Princeton's premier African dance group, will be performing a variety of Afrobeat, Ama Piano, and Caribbean styles in a celebration of African love and wedding traditions. Showtimes are 8 p.m. tonight or 6.30 p.m. and 9.30 p.m. tomorrow in Frist Theater. Princeton University Ballet and Expressions Dance Company will be presenting a joint show in the Hearst Dance Theater at 8.30 p.m. tonight, as well as 2 and 7 p.m. tomorrow. We're happy to report a pleasant change in weather. Today should be mostly sunny with highs in the low 60s. That's all for Daybreak today. Today's episode was written by Philip Wang, Theo Wells-Backman and me, sound engineered by Carrie Liang, and produced under the 146th Managing Board of the Prince. Our theme was composed by Ed Horn, Class of 2022. For The Daily Princetonian, I'm Eden Toshoma. Have a fabulous Friday.